A Natalie-dressed African-American, a touch of gray in his neatly trimmed hair, turns his car onto a Detroit street. The turn, he says, carries him back to memories of a time of anger and frustration. Coming up on Claremont, Claremont Avenue was actually the scene of where the rebellion started, Claremont and 12th Street. Uh, right here, as we're stopping, they have a, a, a park, and this little park here uh, is where the actual building was on the corner, and that's where the uh, rebellion started. It was a way not to wipe it out, but to try to sanitize it a little bit. But Ron Scott says he can't cleanse his mind from the memory of what happened on this spot. He calls it the site of a rebellion, one he says he'd seen brewing for years before 1967. Scott says African Americans, especially young black men, felt threatened by the very people sworn to protect them, the Detroit police. The big four, uh, which were four guys, usually four white guys who drove around in cars and they were police officers and they would generally engage in what today would be called terroristic activities. They would uh, tell you they wanted you off the corner if you didn't get off the corner. They would in a very unceremonious way beat you up, uh, lock you up, whatever the case be, may be. I was uh, told as a 13-year-old walking with my uncle uh, when a cop put a shotgun in my face, he said, uh, nigga, if you breathe, I'll blow your head off. Scott says by 1967, he and many young blacks like him felt targeted daily by racist white cops. Scott says during that hot July, everything just boiled over. That group of young people who were tired, just tired of being suppressed, oppressed, diminished, demeaned, and destroyed, that all came to the surface. It reflected itself in wanting these material things, busting the stores and so on. They just got tired of constantly being pushed, 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 suppressed, 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 and suppressed because of race and class. When Detroit erupted into days of rioting, 20-year-old Sheila Cockrell was concerned about the grassroots organization she worked with, which was based near the epicenter of the violence. She says she hurried towards the scene, but the only rioting Cockrell says she found was by Detroit police. What I saw on the streets of the city, people pulled out of cars, beaten to a pulp, driving down the street, people trying to get home, trying to get away from a fire on, on, on Grand River. Like Ron Scott, Cockrell also calls the rioting a rebellion against what she says was routine and horribly unfair treatment. I remember being with some folks and uh, a man was just bleeding profusely and trying to get through police lines to get him to the hospital. Uh, he was black and people, you know, police didn't want to let him through. Yet some Detroit police officers say their view of the violence looked more like wanton lawlessness than any semi-organized rebellion. Detroit policeman Leonard Fritz had not been on the force long when he was dispatched to help quell the disturbance exploding during those hot days in July 1967. For a series of hours, I would say, on the, on the street there was kind of... Uh, not enough policemen and too many people, so to speak. And, uh, yeah, it was kind of scary because, you know, you're talking about your own city, you know, the city you're trying to uh, serve and protect and, and, and watching people burn things and looting things. I mean, these people were attacking firemen who were trying to put out fires. If you can overreact to a situation like that, I don't really know what, uh, what, what you're supposed to do otherwise. At that time, on the fringe of the rioting, former mailman Claude Fox says he had a good view of the chaos. He says some rioters seemed like they were just fed up, but others seemed like they were cashing in. Well, I think it was 50-50. Some quite possibly were rebelling, and I think some were just quite possibly looting, taking advantage of the situation, 
I don't think it was 100% rebellion. A year after the riots, Fox quit the Postal Service and joined the Detroit Police Department. He says he never personally saw the racism within the force that some say drove the violence in 1967. But Cockrell maintains that blacks were rebelling, and not just against the police. She says many blacks at that time felt betrayed politically by a man they helped elect, former Detroit Mayor Jerome Cavanaugh. He vowed to stop the stop-and-frisk policy. So a lot of what happened in this in 67, in my opinion, was rebellion against police brutality and an expression of real frustration and disappointment that the promise of a city that embraced equality of opportunity hadn't come to fruition. At its crescendo, the rioting in Detroit certainly resembled an armed uprising, a rebellion, so much so that President Lyndon Johnson took notice and eventually deployed Army airborne units to calm the streets. Some Detroiters say even after the sirens faded and the widespread violence abated, the rebellion continued. Detroit Mayor Kavanaugh seemed to think so when he appealed for calm a year after the riot broke out. My fellow citizens, last July this city experienced a most destructive riot. The citizens of Detroit, both Negro and white, are arming themselves in unprecedented numbers and in the suburbs surrounding Detroit, gun sales have also soared. And let me say, my fellow citizens, that this arms race must be stopped. We must return to sanity. In his car near where the riot was sparked, Ron Scott notes one consequence of the rebellion for him. It helped him found the Detroit branch of the Black Panther Party. Where I'm stopping right now, Euclid and uh, Rosa Parks, this was where our first office was of the Black Panther Party. We've, we've moved it right here because 12th Street, after the rebellion, became the scene of a lot of political organizing because it was felt that was where the people uh, actually came out and challenged the system. Scott says among the Detroiters he knew, the rebellion showed that even the poorest people could fight back. There were two classes of people here. There were the black folks who had moved here in the late 1940s, early 1950s, middle-class African-Americans. Then there were the folks out here who were uh, the folks on the street that we organized in the Black Panther Party. Uh, and they were the folks on the street, and they were the folks who were catching the hell, dealing with police, and so on. Scott acknowledges that many people see the 1967 rioting as a time of criminal behavior, uncontrolled violence. But for Scott, it remains a rebellion against a social system that pushed blacks to the point of explosion. And a rebellion, he says, that succeeded, somewhat. It worked, yes, <laughs> but it worked only to the degree that it pacified a certain segment of people and it diminished another segment of people, the potentially revolutionary folk. This is Quinn Kleinfelter, WDET News.